from WNYC Studios. I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Friday, February 23rd. New Jersey Congress member Mikey Sherrill is just back from the Munich Security Conference and the Middle East, and she joins us now. She went to Israel, Jordan, and Egypt, in addition to Munich, including the Rafah crossing at the Egyptian border, Rafah being where most Gaza residents have concentrated now at Israel's direction, caught between being used as human shields by Hamas in its last military stronghold and Israel's willingness to kill thousands of civilians to fight Hamas faster. Congresswoman Cheryl supports the current negotiations said to be making progress toward a temporary ceasefire and hostage and prisoner exchange. And as a Navy veteran who worked in the Middle East, has a master's degree in global history from the prestigious London School of Economics and Political Science, and is now a member of the House Armed Services Committee, it could be very interesting to hear her take on what might be done to save more civilian lives right now if the two warring parties insist on continuing the fight. Congresswoman Cheryl spent nearly 10 years on active duty in the Navy, flying missions throughout Europe and the Middle East. She then attended Georgetown Law School and served as a Russia policy officer in the U.S. Attorney's Office in New Jersey. Congresswoman Cheryl is a Democrat who represents New Jersey's 11th congressional district, which includes parts of Morris, Essex, and Passaic counties in North Jersey. Congresswoman, thanks for coming on today. Welcome back to WNYC. Well, thanks so much for having me. What did you see at the Rafa Crossing? So um, we went to the Rafa Crossing. We were on the Egyptian side. And before we went there, um, we stopped at the warehouses where they're gathering the food aid from across the world, the, the different support and humanitarian aid from across the world. And you could sense the frustration of um, the Red Crescent, members of the World Food Program, the NGOs that were there desperately trying to get humanitarian aid into Gaza. And it's really difficult. Um, I I would say it felt a bit capricious and the decisions being made as to what could go in or could not go in. We were told that there were boxes that contained medicine that were let in, but when they um, put educational material in the boxes, they weren't let in because the boxes were considered dangerous or dual use. Um, There were, uh, we were told refrigerators that were going to be let in but the ones that were delivered were slightly different models. So they weren't, they were turned away, those refrigerators. Um, there were uh, things like chocolate croissants, they said that went to the border and they were told that the people in Gaza didn't need chocolate croissants. Um, that, you know, that, that wasn't kind of a, a dire thing. So it felt as if there was a, um, a sense of, uh, you know, kind of, um, a lack of understanding of what exactly it was that could get across the border. A couple trucks were sent away. Um, if if there was something that was determined to be um, not allowed on the truck, the whole truck was turned away, not just several pallets. Um, so we brought those concerns to the Israeli government. Um, and from their end, they felt like... Um, you know, they were working hard, but all of uh, the the assistance was, you know, they were very concerned it was going directly to Hamas. And certainly several, quite a few of the trucks were getting looted at this point as they were crossing into 
Gaza. Um, it, it's unclear now that we've defunded UNRWA. Um, I think UNRWA is still working because it still has funding from other nations, but that's a big concern because they are almost the sole source of distribution um, in Gaza. And that's so it's the unclear UN's without them. The UN's Palestinian Relief Agency, UNRWA, just so people know. Right. And there were members of UNRWA found to be participating or supporting October 7th. It's a very large organization. Um, and so uh, that I, I think there's a concern now that the U.S. is not funding UNRWA. How will um, aid be um, uh, distributed in um, Gaza right now? So I, I guess the message I brought to um, Netanyahu and to the government was, look, we've got to do more on this food aid. We've got to do more on humanitarian assistance. We have to do better there. And at the same time, I think it's very clear um, that the only time we've seen a broad release of hostages in Gaza has been during um, the, the last negotiated ceasefire. So all of these things to me say we've just really got to get to this negotiated ceasefire um, because we need to both stop the fighting so we can get humanitarian aid in there. There were problems with deconfliction, um, trying to get aid to hospitals. I know the Jordanians had done some airlifts and felt that the people in the hospital, it was too dangerous for them to leave the hospital area to go get the medicine they dropped in. Um, so with this, and then, you know, when you speak to people about the hostages, there's a fear that every single day the hostages are being um, mistreated and in fear of, of more dying so that we really have to push hard now to make sure we get the hostage release as well. Every day counts. And then every day counts for um, the people who are suffering the Palestinian civilians suffering in Gaza. So, so we've, we've really got to continue the pressure and continue the negotiations for um, the temporary ceasefire, which I think most of us hope if we can get on the pathway to getting the hostages released, the negotiations would have a, I don't think they would all be released at once, but in um, tranches and then um, get the humanitarian aid into Gaza that we could hopefully see a longer term peace um, in the area. I think everybody would understand why Israel would want to vet the relief trucks going in for supplies that might actually be directed at Hamas to help them militarily. But you were just talking about not letting one brand of refrigerator or one model of refrigerator go in because it wasn't the same model that was listed on some requisition form. And Chocolate croissants. I don't think Hamas is fighting the war with chocolate croissants. You call those decisions capricious. Why do you think they were made? Is it just cruelty or some other reason? I think you have young people occasionally at the border making these decisions because you have more seasoned people fighting the war. Um, and so I think um, – what we need to see from um, the Israelis is a, a better understanding of, of what can come in, what can't, why, where. Um, and, and that was something we really push is, is, look, you should be able to provide a list of items that are allowed. Um, and then, quite frankly, I think making sure 
um, as we're trying to get stuff in there that they are correctly put on pallets so they can be inspected well. Um, and understanding too, you know, the difficulty, it's, it's hard sometimes to get some transparency on how this is being distributed. I, I was on the Egyptian side. I was not in Gaza um, seeing the distribution mechanisms. There is a sense um, by the Egyptians that much of the aid is being looted. Um, and that's a real concern, especially if it goes in certain areas. So making sure that the aid can actually get to people. Um, and then, you know, as you mentioned, when you're talking about amputations and, and we're hearing that there's not enough anesthesia inside um, Gaza, that just tells you the privation that people are facing. And so that and the the real fears that, um, you know, there's on, you know, I, I heard from, from many people who feel very much like the hostages are could even be being tortured now um, as they're there. So, so there's this this real need on both sides, I think, for this negotiated ceasefire. Um, and I'm very concerned that if we don't get that done, and, and Israel has set a deadline of March 9th, which is the day before Ramadan, and certainly um, in speaking to people in Amman and Cairo there were big concerns that Ramadan um, could provide a real inflection point if we don't get that negotiated ceasefire in place before Ramadan. Um, that's when, you know, we've seen some hardliners in Israel try to use that to stoke tensions. Um, we were hearing from the Jordanians that, you know, people are fasting. Um, it's their home more, they're watching more TV on more social media. It's just a time of, of heightened tensions. And so to the extent that, that we could get that, um, that temporary ceasefire in place before that, I think that would really, um, that, that's just really, I think a critical piece. And, and from what we were hearing from um, people in the region, both in Cairo and Amman and um, Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, it, it, people felt like, the negotiations continue to move ahead um, and continue to move towards a place where where there should be some agreement. I, and I hope very much that's the case. Since you raised humanitarian aid as topic number one, um, and you described UNRWA as, yes, having this problem with some people there who participated in or somehow supported October 7th, but it being a very large organization and vital to humanitarian aid, um, food, medicine, et cetera. Do you think President Biden should restore U.S. aid to UNRWA and let the U.S. continue to fund it while those who might support Hamas military action are weeded out? You know, we have to come up with, I think, a way of vetting people because, um, you know, there's no sense that it is is going. The U.S. is going to lift its funding hold, um, nor, um, you know, I think would would Israelis feel comfortable with that if there's a sense that there are people within the organization that are going to utilize it to support Hamas. Um, and, and I think that is something that we have to figure out. So I don't think we figure that out while we we start supporting UNRIGAN, I think we need to figure it out now so that we can vet people appropriately um, 
and um, continue that aid. Uh, I guess I, I, from what I was hearing, the funding for UNRWA runs out sometime next month. It's unclear when. There are other countries that are funding it. So it's still doing work on the ground, um, which, uh, and I think we've been working with the World Food Program to try to um, support uh, the work they do. But, but it is really a difficult situation, made more difficult, of course, by, um, by the fact that it's hard to engage right now um, on the ground in Gaza for outside groups because of the ongoing war. So, you know, I, I do think we need to um, focus on how we get to a point where we can um, do better by the humanitarian aid and the distribution. Civilians are dying at such a rate the way the war is being fought. Do you support conditioning U.S. military aid to Israel on it fighting the war in a more strategic way that saves more civilian lives? And if not, is it just words? I think that we should understand what our aid is being used for. I think we have a national security memo going forward that is going to require um, states to say that they are going to fight in line with the international laws of war and ensure humanitarian a humanitarian response. So if any aid goes out, Israel will have to certify that. Um, and so I, I, and I think that's fair to ask that. I mean, I, I think it's important that the United States ensure that as we are supporting um, a state in the region. Congresswoman, listener question via text message. I understand the difficulty in doing so, but when will officials like Representative Cheryl call for Netanyahu to step down? He's never acted in good faith and is likely lying about supporting a two-state solution. So I've been really critical of Netanyahu. Um, I, you know, might hope for a different leader in Israel, um, but I don't vote in Israel. Um, this is not my decision. He is the leader that is in power right now who we have to work with. So, you know, people can can sort of wish they there was different leadership, but but we have to deal with who the people in Israel have chosen to lead or the, who has formed the coalition. Um, even if but the U.S. US can there. speak. Prominent Americans can speak more loudly or more softly about that, right? You know, we can't. I, I've I've said that um, he's not the leader that Israel needs right now. Uh, again, he is the leader Israel has right now. So you can sort of hold two thoughts that, you know, gosh, I wish there was someone a little more thoughtful in this space but continue to work with the leadership to get him in the space you want him in. And again, um, I am, you know, I, I'm, I'm sort of in a never say die moment here of continuing to fight for, uh, I, I think, a different outcome for Israelis and Palestinians in the future. And I think um, continuing to push Netanyahu into a better space. And, and while um, he is not where I want him to be right now, he certainly is even sounding different on discussing a two-state solution than he was a couple weeks ago. And there is also 
Um, I think that Israelis themselves are maybe not um, in a space to be ready to move forward. I, I Maybe they are, you know, it seemed to me when I was there, they were possibly, well, Netanyahu might not be popular there. I don't think Benny Gantz, for example, is very far off um, what he thinks about the prosecution of this war. Um, very far off from Netanyahu and what he might think the future is. I think Israelis are fairly aligned. They um, they are very concerned about the hostages. The hostage families are communicating very um, strongly with the Israeli population. I think um, people are still processing the horrors of October 7th and very much somebody said to me, every day is October 7th to me. Mm -hmm. If you are in that mindset, it's very hard to say, okay, um, we've been attacked by Hamas. Horrible atrocities have been committed, the likes of which, you know, I think we rarely hear about. Um, they're so hard to even believe. Um, and you want me now to worry about humanitarian aid? I, I all I care about is is making sure they can never attack Israel again and getting the hostages free. So, mm -hmm. I think I think that's also something that maybe we don't quite take into account here. But the reason to keep D pushing did you did you yeah. find because I've heard a lot of reports of this in the news that the hostage families are pressuring Netanyahu for some kind of ceasefire more quickly because they think mm -hmm. that's the key to getting the hostages released and they don't support the war the way it's being fought. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. So just to, yeah, it, it was very interesting too. And in speaking to some of the Jordanians who've worked closely with Israelis for many, many years, you know, some of them said a on a couple occasions, I don't even recognize the people I've worked with for years. Um, for example, the militaries have tons of mill-to-mill -mill contact, have eaten with each other, have worked together, and they say, you know, I don't even recognize people I've known for decades now um, because of the trauma of October 7th. But to your point, mm -hmm. yes, I was hearing that. In fact, I was hearing that there was some um, disagreement at times between the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, their military, and the hostage families, because the only time we've seen a substantial release of the hostages was during the last negotiated ceasefire. North Jersey Congresswoman Mikey Sherrill, thank you very, very much for coming on today. Thanks so much for having me. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.